to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Welcome to Two Guys, One Book. I am Brian, joined as always with... Tim. Tim, of course. And uh, this week's book is Calypso by David Sedaris. Um, It's my pick. Why did you pick it, Brian? Why did I pick it? Well, I felt like we needed a change of pace. We've been reading all these downers. We got Virginia Woolf, and then we got a cancer book, and then a book about Russia, you know, spoiling the uh, election. So, like, we just needed something different. And David Sedaris is an author I had, had known about for a while, and I've seen him talk numerous times and think he's an entertaining guy. Not seen him in person, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, not seen him in person, but seen him on, like, TV, interviews, that kind of thing. Think he's a funny guy. And he's got a bunch of books out there, and they're just kind of anecdotal stories about his life and his family, and I just picked his most recent one. Have you uh, read anything by him before? I have not, no. Okay. So, um, I didn't know quite what to expect, but I kind of figured, I just knew he he read, I've seen him read excerpts from his book, and they're always normally centered around his life, um, so I kind of knew it was anecdotal in that sense, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was an f- easy read, a fun read. Um, it's broken down into 21 different chapters about... And, he, and each chapter has its own theme or vibe, but he talks about a lot of different things throughout the book that kind of are rep- come up throughout all the stories. So were you surprised by anything when you read this, or is it kind of what you expected? Um, I don't know. I guess I didn't really have that specific of expectations. So it didn't really exceed or fail in, in that regard. I enjoyed it, and I, I felt like it seems like a very personal um, book. Uh, he goes into depth about his sister's suicide, and then his mother, how his mother died in her 60s or something when the kids were just becoming adults. So that had a big impact on the family, and it seems like it, their mother might have been an al- well, was an alcoholic. So, you know, talking about that stuff made it, you know, intriguing and, and um, engaging. Uh, but I felt like there were some times when I just laughed out loud. I mean, and like, I'm not usually one to do that when I'm reading. People will say, you know, a certain book is funny or whatnot. And when I read it, I may not laugh out loud. I may like it. I may, but like, there's not many, very rarely do books make me laugh out loud. And this one did it because <laughs> I I really enjoy David Sedaris. I think he's a funny guy. Yeah. So well, yeah, what what did you think? I love this book. I'm, oh yeah. I'm glad you picked it. Yeah. Oh good. We did need a change of pace for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, you were thinking of a book of his to to choose, and then I was also listening to like the Fresh Air. He did an interview recently promoting the book, and you heard about it too. Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Why don't we just do this newest one?" And you know how I feel about newer books. I'm like. <laughs> If it's new, it must not be good. Let's read these classic <laughs> ones. But it's not the case. Uh-huh. This is new, and it's great. And um, I tried reading a David Sedaris book a while ago, and I couldn't really get into it. Oh. I think I was in, like, early college or something. And it probably depends at where, you at, where you're at in your life, how, mm-hmm. uh, to what extent you appreciate it or can relate to what he's mm-hmm. um, talking about. But the way he, like, weaves together sad things and funny things, I mm-hmm. think is just super well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's well written, and it just, and I, and having seen him 
read excerpts from his past books, it's like I can almost picture him reading it. Did you get the audio book for I this? I had the audio book, uh, which yeah. was great because... Was co- it him reading it? It was him reading okay. it, Okay, yeah. well, good. And a couple of the um, stories were actually in front of a live audience, so you could, you got the reactions like in real time nice. and stuff. It was really funny. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, did, you, did you have a favorite little story? Ooh, let's I'm, see. I mean, I had to review, uh, because like you said, there were so many things that he kind of weaves in, in and out throughout all his stories that... I had to go back and then be like, oh, which one was, you know. I don't know if a specific story stands out. It's more like little moments inside yeah. each of the stories. But what about you? Did you have a favorite? Um, I, I just going down the list here, I liked his um, stepping out, which was his, his him being a slave to his Fitbit. Oh, yeah. And then like going and picking up garbage along the English countryside roads where they lived. Oh. Um, I liked Calypso, uh, where they cut out the tumor from his body and, and to feed it to a turtle. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Uh, and then Untamed, which was about, uh, they had a, a fox in their backyard, named they named it Carol. And I thought that was kind of a cool intersection of nature. And like... And I think foxes are cool, just in general. So I, like, I kind of wish I could have a pet fox, I guess, is, is why I like that one. <laughs> but yeah, and I think the one... Oh, and then uh, I think my favorite one was probably, and while you're up there, check my prostate, which was about him. him um, the, David Sedaris does not drive. He never got a driver's license. And so he... But he was fascinated with, like road rage and how other drivers yell at each other in their own car you know and he's like so when he travels abroad he was getting like the the bulgarians and the hungarians like their versions of what do you say in your car to swear somebody out on the road and i thought i have a few quotes from that 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 i thought were pretty good (laughs) yeah but yeah like you said there's a lot of little things was it is there any particular moment stick out to you so I just loved how he wrote about like his uh, the dynamics with his family mm. and with Hugh, his um, yeah. long-term lover. Uh, so, who was your favorite? Um, like, what was your favorite relationship to hear about? Because he talked about like him and his dad a lot, yeah. him and Hugh, his sisters. Yeah, he comes from a family of six. Right, right. Big well, <laughs> yeah. that and but now now we are five. Right. Yeah. yeah which I thought was an interesting chapter about his sister's suicide. Um, I guess I kind of liked his relationship with his siblings. And because he talks about how over time you can develop different dynamics with different siblings throughout your life. And I have found that to be true and kind of and very interesting because I have two older siblings and how we have grown up into adulthood. It's uh, my relationship has evolved with both of them, especially the older one, who's significantly older. And you know, like eight years apart is a big, a big difference when you're ten and eighteen. But like when you're adults, it's not that big a deal, and it's just nice to have an adult relationship with both my siblings. And so that I think is the one I, his relationship with his siblings, I enjoyed. What did you think about his? Um family life like when they were younger like when they were all little kids well 
I mean, I, it, that didn't really stick out to me a whole lot. Do you remember just bits, bits, and, uh, bits and pieces? Like mm-hmm. he was talking about how his dad would kind of just hang out and watch TV or something, but like they all kind of competed for their mom's attention oh, and she was a really yeah. good storyteller. So you kind of got the sense that he developed that skill just kind of being around her growing up. True. Yeah. I, I yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember that. <laughs> I did read the book. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. But no, yeah. I mean that, I, and I think that's, that was an interesting point because he, I feel like he definitely got a storytelling skills from his mom, and it seemed like he was much closer to his mom than his dad when he was younger. Yeah, a lot of my favorite parts in the book were parts with his dad, where it's like they don't really know how to communicate with each other, but whether it's like through music or just being together at the house, they find a way to, to get along. You know, his dad's kind of like a far-right Republican, yeah. and he's super liberal, Um they just clash a lot, but mm-hmm. as long as they don't talk too much, they're <laughs> okay with each other. Right, right. And him and his sister, um, Amy, mm-hmm. they seem like they're pretty similar and get along well. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in some stuff. I've seen her yeah. in, like, she's the voice of someone on BoJack Horseman. Oh, um, yeah? I know you don't watch that show. No, but, no. She but was in, like, funny. she was, like, the lead in Strangers with Candy back in the day. Really? Yeah. The lead? Yeah, she was Candy. She was, like... That was Ellen Page, wasn't it? No. I'm, oh, I'm thinking of like hard candy. Yeah. Okay. You're What's, thinking of Strangers with Candy. I would have been surprised if you would really remember that one. That was like an obscure show on Comedy Central. Um, I don't. I, it was about high school, and Stephen Colbert was actually on it too. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so yeah, Stephen and Amy Sedaris, I think, both like worked together a lot uh, in the early years. Yeah. But um. It's kind of like. Yeah, Amy Sedaris is in a bunch stuff. of other stuff too. Yeah. Oh, she's in um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Is she? Yeah, she she's the the crazy friend of Jacqueline, uh, who's like oh yeah, like super rich. Yeah, and well, like and like just starve for attention. Oh, okay. She's kind of she's a minor character, but she has funny scenes. You think she plays like an amplified version of herself? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. I don't know her personally, Tim. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but like through David's stories, it mm-hmm. sounds like she's a little quirky. Yeah, over the top too. It sounds like they each, every one of the Sedaris family is a little quirky in their own way. Don't they, it to me, it felt like a Wes Anderson movie come to life. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they've all got their flaws and like quirky parts, <laughs> but somehow they like get along. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> was there anything you didn't like about the book per se um if i had to say maybe towards the end some of the stories kind of would run together a bit mm. uh like i loved it overall but thinking back it's a little hard to distinguish that story from the other one because to me they all felt pretty similar right so and i think by the end you 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 know you have a good grasp of all of the things he's talking about like the beach house and the turtle and and his relationship with his dad and Hugh and stuff. It's all. I mean, it, it. There are themes throughout the whole book that that I think going into it when you're starting, the rest of the chapter keep makes it more unique. But that then towards the end, it's kind of 
um, everything kind of gets bl- blended together, which is fine. That's why, even though it's not a long book, I kind of took a while to read because I would just read like one story before bed or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's better to break it up instead of binge read this one so you can kind of appreciate it in doses. I agree. And, and, and I actually read it the opposite way. I binged it. I was flying. So I just was able to zip through it pretty good. And I was on vacation too. So I just read one after the other because like I just liked them so much. But I, I, I think your way was a little better to, to absorb each one and just enjoy it. And then, you know, like you don't need to burn through it. Right. Yeah. So you were laughing on the airplane and people were looking over. I was <laughs> thankfully, thankfully Megan was beside me so she could, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't a stranger. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I just wanted to read one quote real quick. Yeah. Cause it's relevant. Uh, so Hugh, his, his long-term partner, said uh, he would like read his manuscripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so he said, Hugh, who is good at spotting typos and used to do so for his father, a novelist, was reading the manuscript for the first time. Whenever I heard him laugh, I'd ask, what's so funny? Should five or 10 minutes pass with no reaction, I'd call out, why aren't you laughing? <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, he, I mean, I think David Sedaris recognizes that he is a you know, unique individual and with his own quirks. And I think he, you know, displays them in in all their glory. And I think that's the way it should be. You know, like we're all human, we're all flawed and, but yeah. Yeah. He's pretty open about, Mm -hmm. he'll, you know, be pretty upfront with some of his shortcomings and be self-deprecating about it. But the way he describes Hugh is pretty funny because they do seem opposite in a lot of ways. They do, don't they? Hugh's really proper and kind of Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) just in his manners and Mm -hmm. things like that. But it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I think, I thought they had, they they seem to have a good relationship. I don't, you see, like, I don't, I, having not read him before, I don't know if I mean, I'm sure Hugh pops up in his other books as well because he's been writing for so long. But I'm probably there's probably a time before Hugh that he started writing. I would think. I don't know, but it definitely makes me want to go back and read more. Yeah, I'm curious uh, how similar and different his other books are. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a lot more family stuff, and but maybe some focus more on his ro- like relationship with Hugh, or some focus on his relationship with Amy or whoever. Right. So, to me, this one felt like. It felt like he was traveling a lot, and he had some good stories from on the road, and then he would go to the beach house and his home in England. It seemed like when he was talking about Hugh, he was talking about a lot in their home in England, but then the beach house in North Carolina was where their whole family would congregate, and then he would talk about his dad and his siblings and all that stuff. And in fact, Emerald Isle is where they have the beach house my family has vacationed there twice. Really? Yeah. What's when it I, like? It. I mean, I think I vacationed there when I was like eight and fourteen or something like that. Okay. I don't know. That's just ballpark guessing, but um, it was fun. I liked it. Yeah, we got it. I mean, I mean, he was like when he was describing all the houses all lined up on the beach with you know their kitschy you know uh, beach themed interiors that's exactly what it's like and they all of them have names that are kind of corny but by the way can we talk about his house name on when he buys the beach house uh he names it the c-section 
which I thought was awesome. <laughs> but SEAs. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty good. He, he, he likes to amuse himself a lot, which is entertaining. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's very, he does a lot mm-hmm. of puns and things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my favorite part of that chapter, uh, I won't go crazy with the quotes, but there's no, just one fine. more that's... I mean, we can, we can just start doing like, quotes. Pop them in. Yeah. Um, it was about the beach house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he said... I told myself when I was young that one day I would buy a beach house and that it would be everyone's as long as they followed my draconian rules and never stopped thanking me for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. That sounds like something you would say. Yeah, you I know. know. <laughs> it's like, right, this, is, this house is for everyone, but you have to do exactly what I say. Yeah. <laughs> Just never stop thanking me. Yeah. I, I like this book. Uh-huh. I thought it was, you know, entertaining and funny. And like you said, it was a good blend of the funny with the sad. Um, because he would talk about, you know, his mother's alcoholism, but then like tell funny stories about her as, at the same time. And, but I feel like that's kind of like a good attitude to have towards life. Is you know it's not always going to be warm and fuzzy and, and happy, but and in sad times it's okay to crack jokes. You know, it, it, life sucks at times, but it, it, there's no need to be serious all the time either. So like I feel like that it feels like he and his family have a good kind of like attitude about life. Is how I would say. Yeah, it seems like his writing is a way to process all of the right. stuff going on in his life too. Yeah, and so like I feel like it's a good book, but like it maybe doesn't stimulate the the deepest of conversations. You know, I mean, it, we talk about relationships. We could talk about shopping, clothes shopping in Japan, because there was a chapter about that, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, like I think. You know, yeah. Well, what you said about the sad parts uh, having more weight or something, Mm -hmm. I think I have a really good quote on that. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, okay. And I'll edit all this shit out, too. (laughs) And I have a funny one on shopping, too. It's only two pages. I won't go too crazy. No, that's fine. I think... Okay, yeah, this is it. I highlighted it, too. Um, Okay, so... And I think in the chapter, like, just to give some context, he was talking to Hugh about, like, how Hugh's saying he's always negative. Mm. David is. So he says, Is it my fault that the good times fade to nothing while the bad ones burn forever bright? Memory aside, the negative just makes for a better story. The plane was delayed, an infection set in, outlaws arrived, and reduced the schoolhouse to ashes. Happiness is harder to put into words. It's also harder to source, much more mysterious than anger or sorrow, which come to me promptly whenever I summon them and remain long after I beg them to leave. Yeah, that's a good quote. Yeah. That's pretty good. Because it, it's so true, too, because like the negative aspects of life do stick with us more. And he also said that the happy happiness is harder to source. I think that's true, too, because like we, we can have a perfectly good day and we feel happy, but like we're not sure really what made it a good day. Some some days are just, I don't know, 
you know, like a, unless you're actually going to an event or, you know, having something major in your life happen, you know, like yesterday I had a good day and I just went to work and went rock climbing. And so, nice. yeah, it's a new hobby. <laughs> you and Megan? Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, that was a great day. But like, so like, I guess I could source it like going rock climbing made it a good day, but work made it a good day too. So like, I don't know. I'm rambling. But like, no, every, um, every story requires conflict though mm-hmm. for it to be captivating, I think. Like right. if everything we watched on TV or read in a book was just like they were happy and nothing bad or mm-hmm. uh, stood out that they had to like overcome, then it'd be boring. It be engaging, yeah. Right. Well, no, I think we, I think we can just hammer out quotes because I think they'll okay. generate a lot of discussion. Yeah, sure, go for it. Like, well, first of all, like one of the first parts of the book that made me laugh out loud was was this opening chapter. Yes, my hair is gray and thinning. Yes, the washer on my penis has worn out, leaving me to dribble urine long after I've zipped my trousers back up. But I have two guest rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I, once I read that in the first chapter, I was like, all right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, because he's getting older in age. I mean, he doesn't, he talks about where he is in his life and, and just, yeah. I can already tell you're going to choose the more vulgar quotes. Yes, of course I am. Graphic. <laughs> yeah. But then also, like, that same chapter, he talks about having guest rooms. That means people can come over and visit, which is great. But then he also finds that he just kind of hides in his studio office a lot of times when he does have company, just to kind of get away or sometimes just to act like an aloof person. And then he comes back in, like, in the middle of conversations. And I that's one thing I love. I love, like eavesdropping on random people and just hearing little stupid just hearing little bits of their conversation and being like what on earth because like (laughs) and and so that that's what he's talking about and then here's the quote that often happens with company i'll forever wonder what a guest from paris meant when i walked into the yard one evening and heard her saying many goats might might be nice or odder still, when Hugh's father, Sam, came to visit with an old friend he'd known from the State Department. The two had been discussing the time they spent in Cameroon in the late 60s, and I entered the kitchen to hear Mr. Hamrick say, Now was that guy a pygmy, or just a false pygmy? I turned around and headed to my office, thinking, I'll ask later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the way he like recounts those things yeah. is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what you were saying about like visitors and stuff reminded me too of that. I think this is at the end of that chapter. Mm. He says, um, when visitors leave, I feel like an actor watching the audience file out of the theater. And it was no different with my sisters. The show over, Hugh and I return to lesser versions of ourselves. We're not a horrible couple. We have our share of fights, the type that can start with a misplaced sock and suddenly be about everything. I haven't liked you since 2002, he hissed during a recent argument over which airport security line was moving the fastest. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, too. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I read that. (laughs) It makes you wonder, what happened in 2002? That was his next next line. Oh, was it really? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what did I do in 2000? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think just the way he picks up on, um, like, uh, he's a good observer of human nature and, uh, you know, our tendencies or whatever. You know, like, he's fascinated. He, he, like, would say crazy things to get a rise out of people at book signings or whatever. He would, like, 
guess their sign or something. And sometimes they, he'd be right, and they'd be like, "Oh my goodness, how'd you know?" You know, and like, but they didn't. They didn't know that the ten other times he guessed and was wrong. You know, and and he just, I just, I admire that because I could never do that. You know, I could never be one to say stuff to strangers just to get a reaction out of them. And he's like, "Who cares? It's a stranger. You'll never see him again." And, and you're probably, and you're just right. But um, but then th- then this talking about um, families, or yeah. So just the way. Hold on, I'll just read my quote. There. Okay. So he's talking about his family. This is from the chapter. Now we are five. Take those kids, double them, and subtract the cable TV. That's what my parents had to deal with. Now though, there weren't six, only five. And you can't really say there used to be six, I told my sister Lisa. It just makes people uncomfortable. I recalled a father and son I'd met in California a few years back. So are there other children, I asked? There are, the man said. Three who are living and a daughter, Chloe, who died before she was born 18 years ago. That's not fair, I remember thinking. Because, I mean, what's a person supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know, like, he's so true. I mean, he's, he's so dead on. Like, you can't... I mean, people do bring up stuff like that in casual conversation. But what's the other person supposed to do? Like, oh, I'm so sorry that 18 years ago, right. you know, you suffered through that. But, like, I don't know. Well, he has... So he's pretty blunt, and he's yes. able to get away with saying these things that we can't in like everyday conversation. <laughs> it's almost true. like a Larry David like, ah, type yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think with like he'll get bored during book signings and stuff. That's why he has to start guessing yeah. people's signs and just kind right. of, <laughs> yeah. It's and that's funny. what he said. He, I, that was an, uh, one thing. He one of his stories. Um, he was he and Hugh were traveling in Hawaii on vacation, and he had to sign a bunch of inserts or something or they were just blank pieces of paper but what they would do is they would insert them into the book as it was being printed and which i never thought of before like i thought like some the author would if this if you get a signed copy of a book i would i always thought that the author actually signed the book but he was just signing pieces of paper that then got inserted into the book which i thought was interesting i didn't know that yeah yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's something I would have never thought of. But I'm sure after you're signing your name, like he had to sign it like five thousand times or something crazy. Yeah. <laughs> get old, really old. Yeah. yeah. Who's turn to do quote? Um. I got one. Okay, go for it. He was talking about um, how Jesus is always uh, portrayed as this handsome white, you know, ripped person in all art ever this is the quote what would happen i often wonder if someone sculpted a morbidly obese jesus with titties and acne scars and hair on his back on top of that he should be short five foot two at the most sacrilege people would shout but why doing good deeds doesn't make you good looking take jimmy carter habitat for humanity didn't do a thing for those tombstone sized teeth of his I like that one. <laughs> it's pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Though. Yeah, like I said, he can say he can get away with saying these things. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I feel like he he says things on his that I think people think about. Like, but we know it's not polite to say. You know, 
I don't think he is politically correct at all, Mm -hmm. David Sedaris. And I think that's a good thing, because I think that makes his writing more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish, like, would you see him uh, perform live before, or, like, read his stories Mm -hmm. sometime? Because it sounds like people are really, it's a really engaging show. Like, people laugh and cry, and he's Mm -hmm. telling his stories, and he'll say things off the cuff as well. Uh, Oh, he will. And it almost seems like a return back to, like, you know, in an earlier time when people just go around like telling, telling <laughs> like stories. Oratory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like, how many people really do that? Like, yeah. you have like musicians and stand up mm-hmm. comedians, but like, mm-hmm. not a lot of people just going around telling stories. stories. Right. Yeah. Right. No, so. that's true. I think that's pretty cool that he can do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't like to see him. He's on tour this year. Oh, really? Try to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not, not around here. But not around here? No. Bummer. Um, speaking of religion, though, this one was funny. Uh, so he's in North Carolina a lot, right? That's where his beach house is. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he well, says, that's where he grew up too. That's where he grew yeah, up. That's where his dad lives there. Yeah. So he says, uh, increasingly at Southern airports, instead of a goodbye or thank you, cashiers are apt to say, "Have a blessed day." This can make you feel like you've been sprayed against your will with God cologne. <laughs> Get it off me! I always want to scream. Quick before I start wearing ties with short sleeve shirts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I highlighted that one too. That was a good one. God, Cologne. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have one more quick one to follow up on that. Sure. Uh, he says, because he flies a lot around to do mm-hmm. these uh, talks, he says, as a business traveler, you'll likely be met at your destination by someone who asks, So, how was your flight? This as if they are interesting variations, and you might answer, the live orchestra was a nice touch, or the first half was great, but then they let a baby take over the controls, and it got all pumpy. In fact, there are only two kinds of flights, ones in which you die and ones in which you do not. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so um, another one that I found interesting about family dynamics and then, then partners, romantic partners that join the family later on. So this is a quote. Hugh was there as well, and while, while he's a definite presence, he didn't figure into the fi- family dynamic. Mates to my sisters and me are seen mainly as shadows of the people they're involved with. They move, they're visible in direct sunlight, but because they don't have access to our emotional buttons, because they can't make us 12 again, or 5, and screaming, they don't really count as players. And that is so true, too. I, I highlighted that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I can, I know for a fact that I res, resort to my, like you said, 12-year-old self when I'm around my siblings and with my, with my family at, like, the holidays or something. I mean, and so, like, it's not, I mean, it's, Good and bad at the same time, you know. It, but it's true that when other people join the family, it changes the dynamic. But still, it's it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's probably intimidating for anyone dating a Sedaris to, <laughs> to go to like this huge family and try yeah. to fit in and keep up with their oh, yeah. <laughs> their jokes and everything. Yeah. Um, I thought his other Gretchen I, was another one of his sisters, right? Gretchen, yeah. yeah. That's right. uh, it's funny, he talked about just like sitting out by the pool with them and getting mm-hmm. a tan and kind of like talking, oh, yeah. gossiping, or kind of making fun of people mm-hmm. or something. He said, um, 
He said, I meant to recount my recent battles with Hugh and his mother to tap into the comfort and outrage that only my family can provide. But just as I opened my mouth, Gretchen, Gretchen sat up and said lazily, almost like someone who was talking in her sleep. Do you remember my old boyfriend, Greg? Sure. She lit a cigarette and took a deep draw. He used to drink the liquid out of tuna cans. The story of my argument was insignificant now, dwarfed by this larger and infinitely more fascinating topic. I let go of my anger, all of it, and leaned back on the beach blanket, feeling palpably lighter, giddy almost, feeling related. Oil or water? I asked. Gretchen leaned back as well and brought her cigarette to her sun-blistered lips. Both. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just a well, well-written exchange. Yeah. That is. That's very well done. Yeah. I think this was in that same chapter you said about the South, people in the South saying, have a blessed day. Mm-hmm. He was going around, um, he was just observing the different idiosyncrasies of the English language that people say in conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, but then he got to this point and this made me laugh. A lot of our outlawed terms were in, oh, I think, I should, I think, he and his sisters, I think, had a list of terms that they could just nix. And that, or he and his friend, I think, were saying that certain terms have been used to ad nauseum and they should be outlawed. All right, so here's the quote. A lot of our outlawed terms were invented by black people and then picked up by whites, who held on to them way past their expiration date. My bad, for example. And I've got your back. And you go, girlfriend. They're the verbal equivalents of sitcom grandmothers high-fiving one another. And on hearing them, I wince and feel ashamed of my entire race. (laughs) That one's good, yeah. (laughs) See, he's like self-aware of stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got another one? Yeah. His his relationship with his dad was very interesting. Um... I related more to his relationship with his siblings, so that's why I found that one a little more intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Because, but you know, he does have a very dynamic and and you know, yeah, complicated relationship with his father. And so one thing he would do is um, he would like pick fights with his dad or, or do stuff like almost uncontrollably just to irk his dad. And one thing was he would clog the toilet. And so this is the quote here. He would clog it with the cardboard part of the roll of the toilet roll. You are going to reach down into this pipe and pick out that cardboard roll, my father said. Then you are never going to flush anything but toilet paper down this toilet again. As I backed away, he pounced. Then he wrestled me to the floor, grabbed my hand, and forced it deep into what amounted to my family's asshole. (laughs) And there it has been ever since, sorting through our various shit, it's like I froze in that moment with the same interest as that 11-year-old boy, the same maturity level, the same haircut, the same glasses even. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good. Um, I think that moment probably did have a big impact on him because he's using it as a metaphor to basically his whole career is writing stories about sorting through his family's shit. Yeah. And so... I'm sure that had a big moment for an 11-year-old kid. Because <laughs> he, the dad literally took the toilet off the floor to f- figure out why it was so clogged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but then later in that chapter, 
he talks about how he did get along with his dad when it came to music. Mm-hmm. And he said, music is the only way I didn't rebel against him. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a cool moment because like, it didn't seem like any of his other siblings liked the same music as their dad, but he did. I thought that was neat. Yeah, it's like, I think I've experienced this along with a lot of my friends. I don't know if you have, but like with dads, it's kind of hard sometimes to click or like Mm -hmm. talk about just anything or relate sometimes. Um, And I think that's really clear with him and his father. Like they're so different, Mm -hmm. but with music, they didn't have to talk or anything. They could just kind of like both appreciate it and listen. So. Now, when you say that, like that, it reminds me of the movie City Slickers, where one of the characters says that, like, I mean, like, they, the men are talking about sports and baseball, and they get criticized, like, come on, you guys are grown adults, you know, why, why is baseball that important to you, or whatever? And one of the guys says that, like, well, when I was, you know, like, I guess when I was a teenager, and, and like, fighting with my dad every you know, almost every day, it seemed like baseball was the one thing we could t- communicate and actually have a conversation about. And I think that's true in life on many levels, is that there are a variety of things that that people can find common ground on and that maybe calm the seas of their relation of their rocky relationship. Yeah, like for him it's music, for him mm-hmm. it's sports, right. for you know, it's just famous. Yeah, for different people might be movies or mm-hmm. art in another capacity or poli- maybe they like politics and talk about that or who knows what else. Yeah. yeah. But when he talks about his mother and how like mm-hmm. close he was with her, uh one quote that kind of stood out to me was Our mother was the one who held us all together. After her death, we were like a fistful of damp soil, loose bits breaking off with no one to press them back in. Mm -hmm. Just a short quote, but it's pretty powerful, like showing her impact on his life. Right. Is that a metaphor? The soil? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Because I was was having this conversation. What's the difference between a, a metaphor and an analogy? I was like, well, metaphor is more like abstract or more an analogy is like a specific this is like this. But then like isn't that a simile? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I know this is off topic. No, I think analogies are like yeah, like he was as fast as a cheetah. Or that's a simile. I don't think analogies and similes are mutually exclusive. Oh. Okay. But a metaphor is more like this represents that, like in an abstract sense. Gotcha. I believe. Okay. It's been a while since I took okay. English so classes. You, that's, all right. So a simile, an, an analogy can be a simile and vice versa. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. We'll look it up later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing, one, one, oh, another story I liked was I'm Still Standing because mm-hmm. it was about um, he witnessed a guy shit his pants in an airplane. And yeah, on an airplane, and then he he got like food poisoning or something, and he was sick for like a couple of days. And so this is the quote I liked: "I'd hoped that by the following morning I'd be back to normal, but there was no change. I'd gotten up three times during the night and was still passing a paint can's worth of rusty water every two hours or so. Where on earth is this coming from? I wondered. My eyes? Did I have great stores of liquid hidden in my neck, my calves? <laughs> I just like." Yeah, I did pick the vulgar ones, yeah, Tim. There's but, a pattern here. Yes, <laughs> but those made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. 
right? Yeah. We've all been there on the okay. toilet. Like, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> but then all the while, like, I like throughout that that chapter or story that he's having the runs and he's in the airplane and he's, like, petrified of actually reliving his worst night or greatest humiliation. And then the Fitbit is still telling him to get up. Now it's time to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole Fitbit chapter was funny. How he mm. like he got so obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. Like he <laughs> at first had to get like ten thousand steps yeah. a day, and then how, twenty, what, thirty. How much did he get up to? Like sixty. It 65. was insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I was worried. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But it's funny, like him talking about that, and then shopping, as well. He kind of has these like obsessive hobbies, but they're not as like like everybody's got their thing. Like he mm-hmm. says. Uh, my sisters and I refuse to feel bad about shopping. And why should we? Obviously, we have some hole we're trying to fill. But doesn't everyone? And isn't filling it with berets the size of toilet seat covers, if not more practical, than at least healthier than filling it with frosting or heroin or unsafe sex with strangers? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that is a very good way of putting it. Yeah. And then just one more thing on that chapter is, like, mm-hmm. he was in Japan with, like, I think two of his sisters and mm-hmm. shopping at these weird stores with yeah. these crazy things. And he's like, even though we don't physically look that much alike, when we're all sitting at this table wearing these ridiculous outfits, we are more alike than anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I, yeah, I am realizing now that I highlighted a lot of the gross quotes. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I have all these family have, ones, yeah. and like deep ones. It's okay. the The takeaway is anyone can take something away from yes. David Sedaris. There you whether go. Whether you're into gross things or right. the more deep and right. meaningful moments, <laughs> like myself. <laughs> sure, Tim. Sure. But, but yeah. So I would just, I got, I got to read off some of these insults because this is. Um, and while you're up there, check my prostate. Was the name of the chapter. Okay. And he just, just, again, is fascinated by these insults that other countries use to, to, you know, in road rage incidents. Mm -hmm. Some of them were a cancer whore. May you build a house from your kidney stones. I shit in your mother's mouth. And he's like, does it get any nastier than that? And um, I forget, I don't have the context for this one. All I did was highlight it. This is another one. Shove your hand up my ass and jerk off my shit. <laughs> so that was like German, I think. And I think something got lost in translation. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, he even said that. It must sound different in their native language. Yeah. It probably doesn't sound quite so clunky. <laughs> I just, oh, man. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll end on that one. <laughs> But no, like, I, I felt like, and then the last chapter was entitled The Comey Memo, uh-huh. and I thought it was interesting, because, like, he kind of, here, I'll, I'll find it. I didn't highlight it before I printed this out, so, let me just, okay, yeah.
Yeah, and so he just says, There are things I avoid talking about with my father now. Politics, for instance. He's always operated on the assumption that I don't know anything, can't know anything, really. The issues are far are as far beyond my grasp as they are for the chimps in the calendar he gave me. Sure, one might pull a lever in a voting booth, but there could be no actual thought behind it. The fight we had following Trump's election had been particularly ugly, and we could easily have it again every hour of every day. I don't want to, though. Don't want what could be the last words we say to each other to be ugly. That's a good so, point. Yeah. So I'll end on that note. Because, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, he wants to have a good relationship with his father. Yeah. And that's admirable. D- despite their differences and mm-hmm. worldview right. and outlook and everything. Right. Uh, mm, I had one more about his father. Yeah. Maybe I'll do this one, because that kind of goes off it. He says, uh, Well, I know I can't control it. What I ultimately hope to recall about my late-in-life father is not his nagging or his toes, but rather his fingers and the way he snaps them when listening to jazz. He's done it forever, signifying much as a cat does by purring that you may approach. That is all right with the world. That all is right with the world. Man, oh man, he'll say in my memory, lifting his glass and taking us all in. Isn't this just fantastic? Yeah. 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 It's always good to have those pleasant memories that you can recall on on somebody that even if they're still alive, you know, but he's talking about it a lasting memory he'll have forever, which is nice. Yeah, like when he talks about his sister Tiffany who committed mm-hmm. suicide, you can sense like his regret that towards the end he didn't really try to have a relationship with her that right. she kind of burned them all so much in the past that yeah. it was hard to be close to her. Right. But he still had some regret about it. Yeah. And that's, that is a difficult situation. I am fortunate that I do not have to um, uh, go through something like that where a family member has become, for whatever reasons, unreliable or just, you know, yeah. It sounded like she had mental illness or something. He did, did yeah. yeah. But doesn't make it easier yeah yeah I, so i guess i have one more kind of funny one just right. to end it on a happy note uh so <laughs> hugh and him were arguing about something and uh hugh says why can't you let people change this is akin to another one of his questions asked why do you choose to remember the negative rather than the positive i don't i insist thinking i will never forget you giving me such a hard time over this <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> It de- yeah, again, it definitely seemed like you and David have a have a pretty pretty strong bond. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. But yeah, I again I like the book. Um you ready for rating time? Yeah, go for it. Alright. I I I'll give it a four out of five stars. I really liked it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Four, four out of five. five. Yeah. Yeah. It what was good. It, what would it have to do to be a five for you? Um p- p- Good question. I just don't know. I don't think it can. I don't think this type of book can be a five for me. Because I just feel like... I don't know. I mean, maybe if all of... Maybe if all the little things he weaves throughout the story like hit all the right notes for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe then it could be a five. Like, I don't know. You know... I like the turtle thing, him feeding his tumor to the turtle. It was a funny story, but like, you know, okay. I mean, 
like I said, I enjoyed his siblings' relationship more than his father. And so, like, I guess if all those themes throughout the book all were spot on for me, then I would maybe give it a five. Mm-hmm. Why do you ask? Do you Were you close to giving it a five? No. I, yeah, it was actually between a four and a five. Okay. I think, um, yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say, like, what I'd take away is that anyone who has, like, some troubled relationship with their father, sister, um, mother, whoever, like, I think you can find something to relate to him and what he's talking about. And everybody has relationships and issues and whatever, so I like that about it. For me, like I said earlier, like, it felt a little repetitive, and towards the end, a lot of the stories kind of ran together. So if they kind of stood out a little more, then I'd I'd probably give it a five. But it's a great book. Oh, yeah. I definitely recommend it, too. Yeah. So what are we reading next time, Tim? Uh, next book is The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Okay. How far are you in that? Like 20%? 20, so? Yeah, 20 You haven't 20. read anymore? No. Me Have you? <laughs> <laughs> Hypocrite. It's a long book. <laughs> it is a long book. Um, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. We'll yeah. get there. So. All right. So go to our website, twoguysonebook.com. Comment on anything you want. Literally anything. And we might read it on air. On air? <laughs> oh, yeah. Until then, keep reading. Keep reading.